Joshua, Joshua chapter 10. This morning I want to speak to you on this subject. The battle is the Lord's. The battle is the Lord's. Joshua chapter 10, we'll begin to read in verse number 1. I'll invite you to stand with me this morning, all those that can and are able, in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in Joshua chapter 10, beginning to read in verse number 1. The Bible says these words, And it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had taken Ai and had utterly destroyed it, as he had done to Jericho and its king, so he had done to Ai and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, that they feared greatly, because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were mighty. Therefore Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, Pyram, king of Jeremoth, and Jephia, king of Lachish, and Deber, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me that we may attack Gibeon. For it has made peace with Joshua and with the children of Israel. Therefore the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jeremuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon gathered together and went up, they and all their armies, and camped before Gibeon and made war against it. And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly, save us, and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, having marched all night from Gilgal. So the Lord routed them before Israel killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, chased them along the road that goes from beth Horon, and struck them down as far as Azekah and Makeda. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of beth Horon that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord, and the day the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of, of Jalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, till the people had revenge upon their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jasher? So the sun stood still in the midst of heaven and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. And there has been no day like that before it or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Let's pray together. God, we pray your spirit would help us today, Lord, to understand uh, the varied truths that are in this text. God, I do pray if there's one in our midst that's never turned from their sin and been saved by your grace, God, I pray you'll convict them, draw them, and I pray they'll choose to turn and trust Jesus to be Lord of their life. And God, I pray you'll shake any apathy from the heart and life of any disciple 
that's here today. Any casualness that we might have toward the Great Commission. And God will get busy with the time and the life that we have left. And none of us know how many days we do have. Now, so I pray God will make the most of the daylight that you've given us in these days. Bless this time. Draw us toward your invitation. I pray we'll honor and glorify you by responding by faith today. It's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Now I invite you to again be seated. Last Sunday night we talked through uh, the verses that are found in Joshua chapter 9. We saw how uh, the Gibeonites tricked Joshua, but Joshua wasn't praying. He wasn't immediately obeying the word of God where the Bible forbade uh, the nation of Israel to make any covenants with any neighboring nations whatsoever. But the Gibeonites, knowing what was soon to come upon them, that it happened to Jericho and it happened to Ai, they tried to trick the nation of Israel into making a covenant with them that they would protect them and they would take care of them. And so they fooled them. And there was a lot of trickery and shenanigans that they pulled to get there. Uh, but get there, they did. And so now the nation of Israel is indebted uh, to the Gibeonites. They owe them protection. They have come under uh, their arms, so to speak. They're going to serve. They're going to be woodcutters and water carriers. They're going to serve the nation of Israel. But they will not be a city that will be destroyed by the sword. And so now we come to what's taken place here. There are these... Uh, kings, neighboring kings who were scared. They're very fearful. And they're also very upset with what Gibeon has done. And so they're going to array themselves in battle against Gibeon. And the nation of Israel is going to have to stand and fight against these armies. Uh, faced with an imposing force, Joshua is reminded in our text today of truths that are found in Exodus 15.3 and Psalm 24 uh, verses 7 through 10, where the, the psalmist writes uh, in verse number uh, 7 of Psalm 24, says, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up to you, the everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. Listen, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O you gates. Lift up, you everlasting doors. And the king of glory shall come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. And the psalmist here identifies that our God is mighty in battle. Uh, in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 3, uh, the Lord declared, The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Well, those are truths that are really contrary to a lot of the passive casual pictures that are painted about God and Christ in the contemporary church today. Uh, but friend, the Bible teaches here that God is a God of war. And so multiple truths are found in this text today that remind us of a word that was spoken through a prophet named Jehaziel. Uh, he's an interesting character that just steps on the scene and God uses him to encourage Jehoshaphat. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, and in verse number 15, the Bible says this, as God spoke through Jehaziel. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jer Jerusalem and you, King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you. Listen, do not be afraid. 
Do not be dismayed because of the great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Friend, I'm telling you that every single battle that we fight in the will of God as his disciples, that battle is not ours. The battle's his. And we can rest in truths that are found in this text that encourage Joshua, and they can encourage us as well. First off this morning, very quickly, I want you to notice an overwhelming fear. Look again in verse number 1 of our text in Joshua chapter 10. The Bible says it came to pass when Adonai Zedek, all the kings that were with him, uh, looked to the latter part of verse 10, they saw how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them that they feared, verse 2, greatly. So here they are, absolutely overwhelmed with fear. Well, this was a fulfillment of a promise that God had made. Deuteronomy chapter number 11 and verse number 25. God said, no man shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will put the dread of you and the fear of you upon all the land where you tread, just as he said to you. Exodus chapter 23 and verse number 27 God encouraged in just the same manner. He said, I will send my fear before you. I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come and will make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And so here are all these armies that on paper should be able to destroy the nation of Israel very quickly and very handily, especially now that these five kings have joined together. Numerically, Israel's out manned and outgunned. But Israel had something on their side that these armies didn't have. And that was the Lord. And one of those provisions was the peace of God that passes all understanding. These, these, these lost armies, they lack something that disciples still today have at their disposal. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, God's not gives a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and a sound mind. We don't have to be absolutely just torn in pieces. I was talking to a, a dear sister just the other day who, who lives in, in another town, a, a lady that we served with several years ago. And she was telling me about some members of her family uh, that are just in all disarray, that are just being torn apart by anxiousness and how she just didn't understand uh, how they just couldn't have faith and trust in the Lord and experience the peace that he gives. And friend, the Bible says you don't have to be absolutely just torn into pieces. You can have a sound mind in Jesus Christ. Psalm 119, verse 165, great peace have those who love your law. The Bible says one, one, of, the, one of the great gifts that God gives to his children, no matter how vast the army is that stands against us, no matter how tough the battle is going to be, we can experience peace that you can't find in anything else or in anyone else. Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 6 through 7. The, the apostle Paul commanded all disciples. He's speaking to the, to the church in Philippi, but there are time-transcending truths that still speak to us. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. Now, I want you to understand, friend, that in the original language, the original Greek, there's not an asterisk where it says, see exceptions. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. That means whatever it is that you're being anxious over, the Bible says that's sin. In faith, you're not trusting God. Be anxious for nothing. doesn't mean you shouldn't be concerned about it. 
Doesn't mean it shouldn't be on your radar. These five armies are gathered against Gibeah, and Joshua's going to have to help them. Friend, that, he was right for that to have his attention. But he didn't have to be anxious over it. The Bible says, but, but in everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and then the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So it's through Christ. So we don't have to be torn apart by fear like these heathen nations were. Matthew 6, 25 through 34, list all of these things Jesus is speaking of that, that lost people. He says the Gentiles are consumed by. But then he sums it up in verse 33. But you, seek you first the kingdom of God. Seek Christ's rule over your life. Then all these things shall be added unto you. I wonder if there's somebody here today who has a physical need. Maybe you're, you know, you're, you're trying to get a new job. Maybe you're trying to sell your house or to, to buy a new house. Or you're, you're wondering with the economy where you need to move your money, to move it out of this and move it into that. You just got some physical need. It may be your health. You say, I, just, I, just, I need prayer. Well, can I encourage you what you all to do first? You all to seek the rule of Christ over every area of your life. Because, my friend, you're wasting your time to pray about an issue if Jesus isn't Lord over every area of your life. But when he is Lord over every area of your life, the Bible promises all these things will be added unto you. So we don't have to be anxious. We can rest with peace that passes all understanding. We can face each day's challenge in the calming peace of God's Word and God's Holy Spirit that goes with us to encourage us and to keep us. Secondly, I want you to notice an organized foe. An organized foe. Uh, the Bible says in verses 3 through 5, look at verse 5, these, therefore these five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem and all those, look in the middle part of the verse, they gathered together. They're organized. They're not in disarray. They have a plan and they're organized to fight against Gibeon. And in fighting against Gibeon, they're fighting against Israel. Because now Gibeon belongs to Israel. And so they're organized against the Lord. Uh, verse 4, he says, come, uh, then help, and then attack. They've got a plan. They're not just willy-nilly, well, let's go up and see what's going on. They are organized in what they want to do against Israel. Gibeon. They want to hurt them. We need to be daily mindful, friend, of an organized enemy that we have that is postured and in planning, planning at all times how he can disrupt and how he can destroy you. Disrupt the work of God in your life, disrupt the work of God through your life, and to destroy your testimony and your spiritual walk with the Lord. You need to be mindful of that. Those that aren't mindful, they become a statistic. They become a spiritual casualty. And that's why the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, beginning to read in verse 10, says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rules of darkness, of, the, of, of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And in verse 13 says, therefore, so because of all those truths I just told you, that we have a spiritual enemy, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. 
He says, you, you need to be mindful of an organized enemy that's against you. Friend, I want you to listen. There's an organized enemy that doesn't want a lost person to hear the gospel today and be saved. There's an organized enemy, if you're a disciple but you're not all in, that wants you to think about what's for lunch and what movie you're going to watch this afternoon. What you, what, what, when your doctor's appointment is this week. Did you, did you pay the power bill? All the, did you leave the coffee on? All these things to occupy your mind to keep you from what God wants to do in your life and through your life. It's, he does it to individuals, he does it to families, and he does it to churches. Anything the devil can get this church to be focused on other than the Great Commission keeps us from being faithful to the Great Commission. We've got to be mindful of that. That every day we have a real enemy. And what the devil wants you to do, friend, is to be casual about that. Just write somebody in their mind right now. Don't you just so worked up about that? Just, I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Friend, it's a big deal. John 10, the thief comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. You know, if you think those are positive words, can I just tell you real gently, you're nuts. Steal, kill, destroy. That's what the devil spiritually wants to do in your life. He wants you to die and go to hell if you've never been saved. And if you have been saved, he wants your spiritual life to amount to nothing. To never reach anybody, to never make a difference. To never allow him to work through you to be a blessing in fulfillment of the Great Commission. There's an organized foe that they faced, and there's one that we face every single day, and we need to be mindful of that. And I just want to pull in a parenthetical point. Number three, it, it really doesn't fit. Don't come up and tell me this after church, because I already know it, okay? It really doesn't fit that the battle is the Lord's, but it's a parenthetical truth. Third, I want you to notice an oath that was fulfilled. An oath fulfilled. Uh, look at verses... 6 through 7 of our text in Joshua 10. So the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not forsake your servants. Come up to us quickly. Save us and help us. For all the kings of the Amorites who dwell on the mountains have gathered together against us. So Joshua ascended from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. Joshua has to go help the Gibeonites now because he made an oath to do so. He was tricked, but he still made a deal with them. And my friend, when you make a deal in the Lord's name, a deal's a deal. At, you know, the Bible speaks in Deuteronomy chapter 23 and verse number 23 that that which has gone from your lips you shall keep and perform for you voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. I know we're living in a day, listen, where people enter into covenants all the time and they enter into that covenant with, with, with the idea that they can get out of it if they choose. But friend, I'm telling you, when you make a covenant with God, friend, it's, and you do it in His name, a deal's a deal. And God expects you to perform it. And so was it inconvenient for Joshua to go and do this? Absolutely. But he did it. And it really speaks about his spiritual character. Psalm 15 verse 4 talks about a man that keeps an oath. He swears to his own hurt. And he still keeps that vow. 
That's what Joshua is going to do. The parenthetical truth, man, that really ought to speak to us today, you better make sure of every oath that you enter into is God-led. Well, let me use a different word. When you promise something, friend, as a disciple, you better be sure what you're promising because God will hold you to it. And you're going to answer for it at the judgment seat of Christ if you weren't a man or a woman of your word. And so Joshua was going to be true to that. Better make sure that your yes is God-led. Fourth now, notice this morning, an offensive force. An offensive force. We've seen that they had an organized foe. But Joshua had an organized, an offensive force at his disposal. Now, we're going to end up spending the majority of our time here, and there's some sub-points and uh, some sub-points of the sub-points. So let's pick up in... Verse number 8, the Bible says, And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So five armies are arrayed for battle uh, in front of him, but the, the work of the Lord that he's going to do on behalf of the nation of Israel, we ought to take note of this, and it ought to encourage us this morning. First off, I want you to notice his promise. His promise that he gives him, he says, Do not fear them, for I have delivered them into your hand. Not a man of them shall stand before you. Joshua could boldly walk into battle doing his part and know, friend, that he had ultimate victory before him. And it was because of the promise of the Lord. And we've used this verse a lot in recent days, uh, but, but the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 13 Verses 5 through 6, it encourages us uh, so strongly uh, because the Bible says that the Lord promises to never leave us and to never forsake us. And because he has said, we can say. Listen, the author of Hebrews says this, Let your conduct be without covetousness and be, not, be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He himself has said. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Well, verse 6 says, So then we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? My friend, we can face uncertain days because of the promises of God's Word. Whatever the promise is that the Word of God gives a disciple, and we're not going to go through a list of them this morning, but it's this, this truth that can help us. Whatever God promises us, then we can boldly by faith claim it that God will fulfill his word. And we can be encouraged in that. And can I just share again, friend, he promises he's coming back for his church. This is not the end. Friend, there's a better day coming for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. So stay faithful. The Lord promises he will return. And Joshua was encouraged. Uh, part of that offensive force was his promise. But not only that, I want you to notice his participation. His participation. And again, it, it, it irks me, this um, wimpy persona of God and Jesus that the contemporary church has painted, that you know, Jesus is just letting himself get slapped around all the time and has no power at his disposal whatsoever. Friend, that is not what the Bible teaches. God is a God of love. 
God is a God of grace. God is long-suffering. But my friend, God is a God of justice. He is, and he has all power in his hand. And one of the truths, friend, that ought to encourage people to be saved is this. After the rapture of the church, for seven literal years, my friend, God is going to pour his wrath out upon this earth and its inhabitants during the great tribulation and punish them. That's just here. And the Bible teaches, friend, that those who have never been saved, friend, are going to be tormented in a place called hell for all eternity. God is a God of love. God is a God of grace. He is a God of love, friend, and that he sent his son to die for our sins. That nobody has to experience that. But if they will not experience it, they will face justice. He, he participated in this fight. The Bible says, look at verse number 10, that the Lord routed them. Joshua's going to do his part. They've marched. They're there. The, the army is arrayed. But the Lord came to fight with them. Look at these verbs in verse number 10. Uh, routed, chased, struck, killed. Uh, Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. God had told Abraham, I'll bless those that bless you. I will curse those that curse you. Through you shall all families of the world be blessed. Above all of this, what's it about? It's about the covenant. Genesis 3.15, God had made a promise that he would send Christ to die for the sins of a lost and dying world. He chose the nation of Israel to fulfill those blessings through. And he told Abraham, I will bless those that bless you, but I will curse those that curse you. What's that mean for us here in East Tennessee? He says, I'll take them to the woodshed. Anybody that messes with my children are going to deal with me. And here God is, friend, actively engaged. He routed, he chased, he struck. And my friend, we have the encouragement that his Holy Spirit is at work when we're at work today in Great Commission Ministries. God was at work then. He's at work here this morning. If you've never been saved, his Holy Spirit here is drawing you to be saved. John 16, verse 8, he's convicting of sin, righteousness, judgment to come. The Bible promises, John chapter 12, verse 32, if I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. That means his spirit will draw you, show you that you're lost, that you need to be saved, convict you of Christ's righteousness, your need for it, and judgment that's going to come against your soul if you won't turn and receive Jesus Christ. I realize that's not a popular message in the church today about hell, but my friend, that's what the Bible teaches. That's where lost people go. Nothing's changed. And God has done everything short to violate your free will to see you saved. He sent your, His Son to die in your place. But you've got to choose to turn and receive Him. But His Spirit is here today convicting you of that. Drawing you. We have that encouragement. Listen to me. When you try to witness to your neighbor, a co-worker, someone you just struck up with a conversation with on an aisle at the grocery store. My friend, you have the promise that it's there you're talking to them. The Holy Spirit's not just working in your heart. He's working in theirs. He's convicting them, drawing them, bearing witness that His Word is true. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, that is, if you lift Him up, yes, friend, as He was lifted up on the cross, but as you lift Him up, and share his name, he will draw people to himself. 
He's participating as you're working. What a promise we have in that. But not only that, is there his promise and his participation. I want you to notice in our text this morning, his power. The power that Joshua had at his disposal. First off, in that power, God gave them health. Four words I'd share with you. Health, hornet, hail, and hold. Say that five times real fast. Health, hornet, hail, and hold. First off, he gave them health. The Bible says in verse number 7, so Joshua ascended. He didn't get to walk downhill, friend. He had to walk uphill. It was an uphill walk to Gilgal. He and all the people of war with him and all the mighty men of valor. Verse number nine, 9 says, Then Joshua therefore came upon them suddenly, look at the last part of the verse, having marched all night from Gilgal. How are they able to do that? Listen to me. God gave them the health and the ability to do it. It was the Lord that did that. They couldn't stand talking about, well, you know, it's, it's because of this diet that I'm on, and I'm taking my vitamins, and that's really the reason this is happening. Oh, with that, friend, listen, they had to do their part. They had to exercise themselves physically. They had to watch the things that they were eating just like we do. The Bible says, friend, that our bodies are not ours. They belong to the Lord. And we're to be good stewards of our bodies. We're to keep them just as healthy as possible. But it's the Lord that made all those processes in our body. And it's God's guidance and God's hand that keeps us healthy if he wills to do it. And so God gave them the help that they needed. But not only that, boy, and I loved... These were things that as a boy I just loved when I would hear... Not only did God give him health, but he gave him the hornet. Look, look what the Bible says in verse number 10. So the Lord routed them before Israel, killed them with a great slaughter at Gibeon. What's the next word? Chase them along the word. Now, don't you listen to me, friend. God didn't come down in spirit and run behind them up and down the road. So how, did he send a legion of angels? No. Did, well, what, what did he do? Well, just write these verses down. Exodus chapter 23, verse 28 in the margin of your Bible. It'll help you one day or somebody that gets your Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 20. And Joshua chapter 24 and verse number 12. Listen to what the Bible says in Exodus chapter 23 and in verse number 28. God promised, I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canite, the Hittite from before you. Deuteronomy chapter 7 and in verse number 20, uh, God said, uh, Moreover, the Lord your God will send the hornet among them until those who are left who hide themselves from you are destroyed. And in Joshua chapter 24, and in verse number 12, Joshua's here is reviewing all the faithfulness of the Lord. God speaks to him and says, I sent the hornet before you, which also drove out from before you, also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with your sword or with your bow. So there's Joshua was fighting all of these five kings. God sent, friend, just swarms of hornets. And there they were just moving everywhere up and down the road. Every time they tried to find a rock to hide behind, here was another hornet getting after him. I mean, who can give me an encouragement this morning of just, uh, you know, the, the, the goodness of how great your day's going? There's nothing like mowing over a bee's nest, is there? Huh? 
and just doing that dance, running through your SWAT and then running. Nothing, is there anything better that can happen? It's horrible. Friend, I'll never forget, I don't know how many years ago it was, but I, re- I remember being in Panama City. I saw an entire swarm of killer bees near decimate a whole, a whole battalion of, of, of paratroopers. I mean, during the day, wherever you'd move, they would just continue to chase you. Friend, God sent the hornet among them. He did something so supernatural. Not only that, did he send the hornet, but he sent hail. Look at verse number 11. And it happened as they fled before Israel and were on the descent of Beth Horn, that the Lord cast down large hailstones from heaven on them as far as Ezekiah, and they died. There were more who died from hailstones than the children of Israel killed with the sword. I say it often, but again, sing that in a breathy praise chorus somewhere. Friend, that's our God. His children were in need, and he's up there, friend, chunking down hailstones. Wherever somebody stood in need, God hit them. You know, the Bible speaks in the book of Job 38, verses 22 through 23, when Job's questioning the Lord. Well, God begins to question Job. And he says, have, have you looked into my treasury of hailstones? You've got a gun locker for your guns? Friend, listen, God's got an ammo locker for his hail. The Bible says, friend, in Revelation chapter 16, verse 21, he's going to use them again one day. Hailstones, friend, as big as a talent fell on people. That's hailstones that were 60 pounds in weight, friend. What's that saying? God, when his children are are in need, friend, he's up there eyeing down and he's chunking down 60-pound hailstones to meet our needs. Friend, you can go forward in faithfulness. So whatever excuse you're chewing on that keeps you from being faithful to what God's calling you to do, here's a reminder from Scripture again. You've got a God in heaven, friend, that can chunk down a 60-pound hailstone when he needs to to meet your need. He can meet whatever need it is that you're chewing on that the devil's given you that's keeping you to be, from being faithful to what he's called you to do. There is no obstacle that stands before you that God cannot defeat and a need that he can't meet in what he's called you to do. There's nothing. But so many people absolutely live in defeat because they stare and say can't rather than looking to God and saying you can. And because you can, I can through Christ who strengthens me. God gave them help. He sent the hornet. He sent the hail. And I want to spend just a few moments here. But also was, there was a hold. And I'm not talking about a wrestling hold. I'm talking about a hold on the universe. Look at verse number 12. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord. Joshua's doing his part. I mean, friend, I'm telling you, they are sweating. They're near dehydrated. They are fighting with all that is within them. God's sending the hornet, but they're chasing the people that are getting stung. God, they're doing their part. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day which the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the children of Israel. And he said in the sight of Israel, Sun stand still over Gibeon, and moon in the valley of Jalan. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped till the people had revenge upon their enemies. You say, well, what's that, what's that mean? It means God held the universe from moving at all. It just stopped. The Bible teaches here, friend, that God gave Joshua an extra day. 
It means the shadow on the sundial didn't move anymore for almost 24 hours. You say, well, that's just impossible. You've got no faith. And you've got all these lost theologians say, well, what God really meant. Friend, let me tell you what God literally meant. It means God gave Joshua an extra day. That's what he gave him. And so they had a need, and God met it by his power. It, it, it gave Joshua the time he needed to complete the mission. He needed more time, and God gave it to him. He had a need, but don't miss this. Look at verse number 14. The Bible says, There has been no day like it before or after it that the Lord heeded the voice of a man. Now, the Bible's not saying God never heeded the voice of a man in prayer anymore, but it's specific to this need. For the Lord fought for Israel. That means, friend, that there was never a day after that God stopped the earth like this. Yes, and we'll look tonight. God made the sundial go back for Hezekiah, but he never held the, debt, the earth again for a day like this. He didn't do it. And so he had a need, and God met it. And it teaches us again, friend, the devil doesn't want you to be faithful to what God has called you to do. For all of us who've been saved, it's to live on mission every day. Within the life of this local church, he's given you a spiritual gift. And that gift is to be used in his service. And, and I know, I've, I've heard all these, she's, well, I'm too busy, I'm too this, I got hurt. But listen, what, all that, friend, is garbage. If God's called you to it, he expects one word, yes. Yes. I'll do it. Whatever he's called me to, I'll do it. Because whatever the need is, friend, he can meet it by his power. He can accomplish it. But a side truth in this you need to understand this morning is this, friend. We're not going to have at our disposal what Joshua had specifically of getting more time. You've been given one life to serve the Lord. You're not going to get another one. You're not going to get another one. Jesus spoke so clearly in this in John chapter 9 and verse number 4. Listen to what our Lord says. He says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Jesus says, I've only got, God has given me an allotted amount of time to do the work that he sent me to do. He says, I've got to do it in that time. Because the night is coming when no one can work. What is that? Friend, when you die, you can't serve anymore. And I want you to know, friend, because you may be bodily able to do what God's calling you to do today, tomorrow you may not be bodily able. We've got an aging church. And I'm telling you, friend, whatever it is God's calling you to do, you better get busy doing it because life's evening sun is sinking low. In a few more days, we're all going to go. To meet the deeds that we have done, where there will be no setting sun. And I'm reminded of that more and more. Friend, I can assure you, I'm not having a midlife crisis, but I turned 50 this year, and it causes me to stop and look and say, there ain't no midlife crisis. It's a midlife crunch. 
to make sure that every single day, friend, I'm using it as effectively as I can to the glory of Jesus Christ. Because my life's not about me. And I fit God in where I can. And this next well, that's because you're a pastor. No, I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's God's standard for all people. It's not we just fit Jesus in where we can. I realize that's what contemporary Christianity is teaching today. And people are flocking to false teachers to have their ears scratched in that. Fit God in where you can. No, friend, Jesus is to be the center of our lives and our service to Him. And if we focus on all these sideline issues, parents, all these sideline issues, we're wasting the best of the 18 years God's given us to invest in our children's lives. But so many, friend, are investing things that have no eternal value. None. They're the priority. They're the focus. And retirees do it just the same. Well, we've worked all our life, so we're going to vacate now, friend. No, friend. God gave you the ability. God gave you the grace to work all your life so you could make money to take care of your family, to feed your family, so you could live on mission. And your retirement ought to be, I'll use these years to the glory of God. Not to the glory of me down at the villages. Because last evening sun is sinking low. I read an illustration that really fits this text. There was an art class, a group of painters. They did watercolor. And their teacher took them out to a hillside that looked west. And it was in late afternoon. There was a beautiful meadow that went along. There was a pretty barn with an oak shingled roof that was over to the right. And there was just a little bit of a curve of the earth. And they were going to be able to see the sun set. And he had worked with them for weeks about how to place the shadows. How to make sure the light shone just exactly right on every detail. But the focus was on how to capture the sunset. That's what it was about. Focusing on the sunset. And as the sun began to crest down just right below the hill... The teacher went to the easels of all the different students and he saw how this one was catching the light and how this one was focused on the sun to make sure they got everything that they were inspired. And he went to one student and he didn't have anything with the sun on there. He had the barn. And the teacher asked him, he says, what are you doing? He says, the sun's almost setting. He says, I just can't get these shingles right on the barn. He says, look at these shingles. They don't match the shingles on the barn. And the teacher said, it's not about the shingles. It's about the sun. The sun is setting. And you're worried about shingles. Friend, I'm telling you, there are many disciples. The sun is setting on your life. And you're worried about the shingles on the barn. You're focused on all of these sideline issues. You're giving the best of your attention, the best of your finances, the best of your life to all these sideline issues that have no eternal impact whatsoever. And all the time, my friend, the sun is setting on your life. The sun is setting. Jesus says, we, we must work the works of him who sent us while it is day. Because the night is coming when no one's going to work. Friend, it's not just in hell that there are people who wish they could hear the gospel one more time. 
You hear me. There are people in heaven right now, because the judgment seat of Christ hasn't happened yet, that wish they could come back and do the things for God that they did not do. Because we're all going to give an account for whether we worked in that time. God has given us a specific amount of time to serve him. Don't waste daylight because the sun's never going to stand still again. What you intend to do for Jesus Christ, you better get busy doing in these days. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Now, don't mentally check out. Won't you listen to me this morning? I wonder if there's someone here this morning that's anxious and overwhelmed by something. Have no idea what it is, but you are just absolutely consumed inside. You're being torn apart by something. Well, friend, I won't tell you what you have an absence of in your life, but you can have a presence of. You have an absence of peace. And that peace can only be known through Jesus Christ. If you've never turned from your sin and trusted Christ to be Lord of your life, do it today. I highly encourage it, friend. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make to give your life to Jesus Christ. He loves you. He died in your place. He wants to save you from sin's penalty if you'll only turn and trust him today. Tell him so in a simple prayer of faith where you sit just like this. God, I confess my sin. I turn from my sin. I believe Christ died for me. You said if I would call on Jesus to be Lord of my life that I would be saved. And I'm trusting Jesus to be Lord of my life. Save me, Jesus, from my sin. Be Lord of me. And my friends, not only have been saved from sin's penalty, but you can be saved from sin's possession of your life. You don't have to be gripped by anxiousness and worry. You can now experience peace that passes all understanding. The Apostle Paul says, comes only through Jesus Christ. But you've got to lay that burden down. This is for everybody that's bound by anxiousness today. Just lay that down at the feet of Jesus and pick up by faith peace that he's going to work it out, Romans 8, 28, for your good and his glory. He promises to do that. I wonder if there's someone here that's suffering spiritual defeat today. Your life is bound and gripped by sin. Being an addiction, maybe sins of omission, you, you, just, you just will not witness for the Lord. You still will not discover your spiritual gift and serve. Friends, stop suffering spiritual defeat. Be armed with Jesus Christ and find freedom that only comes by living in the fullness of His Spirit. And I challenge all our church to take to heart the truth of John 9 verse 4. Our Lord said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Because the night is coming when no one will work. Church family, you hear me. What God has called us to do, we better get busy doing it. Because there's coming a time, even if you remain on this earth, you may not have the help to do what God's called you to do. Serve the Lord right now in the daylight that you have. Father, we thank you for your presence, ever presence in our life. And what an offensive force you are for us. We thank you, Lord, for your promises. Lord, that you fight in front of us on our behalf. You're greater than the devil. Lord, we can always have ultimate victory in you. God, I pray that we, like Joshua, will be faithful in the fight. 
in these days. Lord, many people sit here this morning with varied spiritual needs in their life. Holy Spirit, you know each one. I pray now, God, your Spirit would call us and draw us to what it is you want to accomplish in our lives. And we'll spit out our pride. We will humble ourselves before you. And we will submit to what it is that you want to do in our life right now. It's in Christ's name we pray. Let's really stand our feet.